Hey everyone, welcome back to Studs and Duds Sports. Adam here, back with the Bishop of Baseball, Dennis Bishop. Dennis, how's it going this week? Not bad, Adam, not bad. How are you, sir? I am doing well. Uh, obviously, we got some news that we're going to talk about later uh, with one of the all-time greats getting designated, but we're going to start out as uh, we're starting to do now with the standings. Uh, let's talk about the big movers here we had in the AL East. We'll kick it off with the Yankees. Uh, seven and three last week. I mean, everybody did well uh, in their last 10, but the Yankees were the top uh, team there going seven and three and making themselves a run at Boston in first place. What do you make of their uh, last 10 games there? Well, I mean, uh, they definitely got uh, some pitching. Uh, I think they actually lost Cole start, which don't, you don't see happen very often because he didn't have a, a bad outing. But yeah, I saw some of the bats come around uh, Stanton. You know, it's, it's amazing how good he can look when he actually is healthy. And it's one of those where he's, he's just that kind of guy who he could put us through this injury turmoil for another half decade and then come back as uh, in his high 30s. And I'm not going to bet against the man to uh, be able to hit 40 home runs two or three years in a row. Uh, and all of a sudden, those final numbers just pop at an immediate first ballot Hall of Fame level. While it's easy to get caught up in the Stanton and Judge uh, injuries and the drama as far as will they ever play and this and that, you know, when they're right, the Yankees are pretty much the team that we got used to seeing the Yankees become uh, ever since uh, Jeter and Bernie and the core four. So, so yeah, not much of a surprise. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're just, they're the Yankees, they're going to be atop the division at the end. Uh, it's a, uh, it's definitely a, uh, difficult division still with Boston still playing uh, above their heads, but the numbers back it up. They're at a 33 uh, run differential still to the positive. They went six and four themselves. So still nothing, uh, nothing easy going through the East. Yeah. And you still have uh, Tampa Bay lurking there with the six and four in their last 10 as well. And they have the same record as Yankees. And then you got Toronto six and four in their last 10 just a half game back at the Yankees right now, and they're plus 25 run differential. So, uh, yep. And even, even Baltimore was 500 uh, over the last 10. So, it's yep. it, all those teams are coming to play. It's a, it's a fun division to watch right now. That's right. And we'll talk a little bit more about Baltimore as we get to our stock up and stock down, guys. Uh, let's move on to the central. The big one here Kansas City, one and nine in their last 10. They took a nosedive and fell straight out of first. And then obviously the White Sox and Cleveland uh, with their seven and three weeks last week were able to take advantage and the White Sox and their plus 53 run differential were able to uh, take first place. What do you uh, make of the past week there in the central? The White Sox are definitely continuing to roll. I'm expecting them to go on some pretty hot streaks here. Uh, they were part of what pushed Kansas City way down the, the line as far as the division goes. Kansas City's minus 31 run differential. That's starting to creep up to a number that you can't really play around with. So I think they've got a series, uh, the series against Detroit. So that's going to be their opportunity to kind of like put the brakes on, regain some momentum. They got to take advantage of it. Uh, and then Cleveland's kind of just sitting there doing what they do. Uh, you know, I don't really expect them to be a major player, uh, but when they've got that pitching staff, uh, as well as some speed, some defense, uh, Fran Reyes, you know, proving to be be more than just uh, a swing for the fences kind of guy lately. You know, it's uh, it, it's it's going to be top heavy because even though Minnesota's only at a negative two run differential, still only went five and five the last 10, 12 and 20 on the year. You do wonder how long before uh, they start to shake that up a bit. We will not get a chance to talk about him in the uh, – in the down on the farm, but they called up uh, both Kirilov and Trevor Larnock this week, both big back corner outfield types. So we could be starting to see where it could become a developmental year sooner rather than later if they don't pick it up soon. All right. And then we swing out west with the uh, everyone basically going 500, Oakland 5 and 5, Houston 5 and 5, Seattle 5 and 5. The Angels four and six, and then the best team of the last ten was actually Texas going seven and three. Uh, this is still Oakland's division with Houston and Seattle only two and a half back. And Houston's we're going to talk about a little bit later in our down on the farm with their being uh, call up this week. What do you make of last week in this uh, AL West here? 
I think this I think this one is probably the division that uh stacks up most like we kind of uh predicted. I don't expect uh, the Angels to fall behind Texas all year long, but where they're at as far as 15 and 18, you know, after a 3 and 7 week, I I think that they'll be closer to 500, you know, over the the entirety of the 162, but with with the exception of that small flip, you know, Oakland and Houston battling it out. You know, both had up and down weeks. Uh, Seattle, you know, joined them. It just no one really distanced distanced themselves this week. But you look at the hierarchy of the division, and it's still Houston and Oakland to lose. All right, let's swing over to the National League here. Your beloved New York Mets take first place with a big seven and three week in the division. Uh, the Phillies are not too far behind. They're a game back. Atlanta's a game and a half back. Both of them are six and four and five and five in the division. Uh, Miami, with the only team with a positive run differential in the season in the NL East, the plus 17 was three uh, or three and a half games back out at four and six. And then Washington rounds it out with the even 500 record. Uh, what did you see in the East last week? Well, basically, uh, I had the joy of seeing the the Mets start to to take hold. They finally got some games where their pitching was also matched by their hitting. Finally, Degrom going on the IL, it's a little bit of a you know a little concerning, but the fact that it's uh, the same issue that he basically pitched through for five innings while getting uh, while while still getting a win and giving up a whopping one run over five. You know, there is some silver lining to that when you you look at the fact that uh, the guy was still hitting 100 miles an hour while favoring his right side. So so hopefully nothing, uh, nothing too long term there. He's just the flat out best of the best. And they have a short week this week, only five games. So they're putting him on the DL. I don't think it's a bad idea at all. The, the pitching has held up and even their bullpen games have uh, have really kind of, uh, you know, continued setting the tone uh not a whole lot of embarrassing outings uh i think if you look at him i think uh joey lucchesi he uh he kind of showed what they were looking for uh this past outing previous outings he was shakier but he's also getting very little work because they had not yet they had not yet completely uh solidified that they were going to go with this opener versus bulk guy versus six-man rotation so he, he will go some uh, some days without work. So I can't hold that against him too much. Uh, overall, the Mets rotation is doing well, and the bullpen is probably the best bullpen I've seen the Mets uh, throw out there in quite some time. I would say well before 2015 and the, uh, the run at the championship uh, when there was a lot of uh, – low octane guys trying to set up uh family at the end so they're they're all around doing very very well stay healthy and i think they're gonna i think they're gonna end up running away with a division uh unless there's a major injury out there all right and uh speaking of bullpen i know my my uh braves actually try to bolster their bullpen by re-signing shane green to a one-year deal he's this back week. <laughs> he's back he's back that is that uh good news or bad news for braves fans well, I mean, you know, if, if Shane Green was looking like the Shane Green of a couple years ago, he wouldn't have lasted this long, Most I, I would assume. But, this, you know, bullpens, especially in the modern game where it's just 97 after 97, uh, you know, it's, it's a war of attrition. And the more arms you have, the better off you are. So you can never go wrong with, with throwing out someone who can throw hard and seeing what they've got. So... I definitely, uh, I definitely would not uh, say that it was a, anything but a positive move. Now we'll see how it works out. Yeah, I, I definitely feel much more comfortable with Shane Green going out there than throwing guys like Luke J- Jackson out there in the seventh and eighth inning. I mean, that, <laughs> that always makes me nervous. <laughs> yeah, people, uh, people do complain about the uh, the development of the Brave starting pitchers. I. Do not really hate on that with them. I think they've done an all right job there uh, looking at what they've got. But I think it's actually the the difficulty they've had in transitioning some of these failed starters or some of the the relief pitchers that they've they've acquired or tried to develop. They, they just haven't had a whole lot of guys that they've been able to make that transition into uh, successful and consistent bullpen pieces. I think I think that's much more of a miss than the actual starting pitching development. 
Yeah, they haven't really uh they've really struggled with getting guys to work well in the bullpen. Newcomb has been okay. Luke Jackson's been a roller coaster ride every time he's out there. So definitely bringing Shane Green is bringing you some solidity. Uh, but I mean, realistically, Atlanta hasn't had a top end bullpen guy since probably the, probably Kimbrell. Yeah, since Kimbrell left to go to Boston and took the money. Um, all right, let's move on to the central. Let's talk about uh, the hottest team in baseball right now. St. Louis is eight and two in their last ten, uh, taking over first place in the central. They actually put a little distance between themselves and the Cubs, two games back and three and a half back there. Cincinnati is also three and a half, and Pittsburgh is who we thought they were going two and eight in their last set as well. Uh, what did you see in the Central last week? I uh, really, uh, you know, St. Louis, they had, a, they had a chance to sweep the Mets. Uh, as happy as I was that the Mets are on this, uh, this five-game winning streak, the fact of the matter is St. Louis had their opportunities. Uh, it's usually not a great matchup for the Mets going against St. Louis because uh, they play such good fundamental baseball and historically the Mets do not. So usually it's, it's, it's a lot of headaches and heartburn uh, watching those games, but you know, they, they definitely could have finished. They, they definitely could have finished out a sweep. The Mets were lucky to split that four game series. And a lot of it had to do with the weather. I think uh, if the Mets weren't able to back up a game, I think they would have seen a, their bullpen would have gone, from used just about right to facing some serious, uh, some serious uh, overuse. So um, they could have been much better this week than they were. And the fact that they were eight and two over the last 10 and those two were against the Mets. I think that says a lot about them. And I wasn't prepared to say that they were going to run away with the division. I thought that they were going to squeak out a bad division, but the way they're looking, you know, they got some pieces down on the farm. Now that we finally have minor league baseball, we'll start to see uh, some guys come up the ranks. But I, I think they're going to be – I think they're going to end up quite comfortably winning this division. All right, and that brings us to the NL West. San Francisco still leads the division. San Diego is able to leapfrog the Dodgers with 6-4 and four while the Dodgers went 2-8 and eight, and then bring up the rear with matching 3-7 and seven records in the last 10 is Arizona and Colorado. What do you make of San Diego leaping the Dodgers and the Dodgers rough week? Well, I think this is the, the biggest story here is just the Dodgers rough week. I, I don't want to take credit away from San Francisco. You know, they won five and five. So, you know, they had a, they had a, they did what they had to do this week. They were mediocre and they retained the lead in the division. Uh, the run differential at plus 27, it shows that they, uh, they, they belong, but this, this is really a story just about the Dodgers having a rough week. You know, it was it was not a good road trip for them. Uh, it happens. Their pitching depth, uh, for for all their depth, uh, you know, the injuries are starting to rack up. They blew two they blew two Kershaw starts. One because Kershaw was just horrendous, and another because uh, they took him out after five. So that's obviously when when you go zero and two over a stretch in in Kershaw starts, and then Bauer uh, isn't able to get over the hump himself, even though his numbers were not nearly as bad as uh, Kershaw's were in his start, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a quick slippery slope uh, when you get uh, four starts that don't result in anything positive from your two aces, you know, the, the, I'm not super concerned about it. They, uh, this is just a bad stretch that uh, we'll forget about. It might be the difference, uh, a stretch like this, it might be the difference between them, uh, you know, going well over the hundred mark as far as wins or just kind of, you know, comfortably pacing the division. But, uh, you know, I think in a way, San Francisco being such a strong team, in, in a way, it kind of it kind of helps them as far as the division goes, because it's now not just a matter of what can San Diego do in their matchups versus L.A. Now there's this third piece to the pie. And as we've talked about, I still like I still like what L.A. brings to the table as far as their experience goes. If there's a wild card that's going to be thrown in there, then I trust LA's, LA's ability to rise above and figure it out. Whereas San Francisco come into the mix with a young team like San Diego, all of a sudden you could see some, pre some pressure really ratchet up. And that's not a position you want your young team in when it starts to mount and they're sitting there like, you know, thinking that they were shoe-ins for at least a playoff, uh, a play-in game or winning the division. And now uh, they've got someone else beating on the door. So I like how this shapes up for LA despite their uh, bad stretch. All right. And that's going to 
bring us to our stock up and stock down guys. First guy stock up is John Means, uh, starting pitcher for Baltimore. He's 4-0 on the season, 137 ERA. That no hitter he had last week certainly helps. Uh, he's averaging more than a strikeout an inning, and his whip is only a .67. John Means is a guy that's been getting talked about a lot in trade rumors. Is this a guy who Baltimore might keep to build around with this type of showing? Um, if they can get a haul for him, and the way he's pitching, they can. He's, uh, he's an older, older guy. Uh, 28, but considering he's only been in the league a couple of years, you know, that puts him on kind of like the same DeGrom type age schedule where not only is he affordable for the next few years, but you've also got a lot of leverage because if he doesn't sign uh, a team friendly extension, he's rolling the dice that when he goes out there to make his free agent, uh, his real first free agent appearance, you know, he's looking at like being like 32, 33. So it definitely would make sense for Baltimore to trade him, but you can also see how it's difficult given the fact that uh, they do got some young players coming up hopefully sooner rather than later. And he's a good guy to help build around. Basically this guy, I mean, he, he kind of reminds you of, of Cole Hamels. It's just, it's just a, a change up that he can throw two, three times in a row and still make a hitter look absolutely foolish. And like Cole, when, uh, as he kind of matured, he was able to add a breaking ball for Cole. It was a, an overhand curveball for, for means it's a slider, but he's got two pitches in that changeup in that slider that can uh, get swing and misses at about a 40% clip. Both of both very strong numbers. As far as can he continue to do it? Obviously I'm not putting him down for a 1.37 ERA, but all the other numbers look pretty, pretty solid. Uh, the one thing you would want to kind of keep an eye on is, He's got a very high pop-up rate at the moment. Basically, the, the importance of a pop-up rate is uh, it's, it, it's similar to a strikeout where you get a strikeout. Obviously, it's very, very difficult to produce any damage when you're striking out. Similar with a pop-up, you put it you know, up on the infield uh, that high, you know, was at a 99.5% chance of an out. Uh, similar thing. So uh, that's something where is that going to come down a little bit? Is that a, a regression type point? Either way, it's not going to affect him too bad. You're talking maybe going back to a 2-5, the way he's pitching, 2-5, 2-7. I think he can do that, you know, the pitches, the pitches play, uh, and he can he can kind of age pretty well as long as that uh, changeup keeps, uh, you know, keeps going the way it's going because it's going to keep the fastball lively even though it's only about a 92, 93 mile an hour pitch at the moment. So, so I think uh, you, you could go either way with him uh, being the fact that he might get a semi reasonable extension number. Uh, Baltimore might keep, you know, they might hold on to him a little longer. All right. Let's move over to the central talk about uh, for the Tigers. They've been absolutely terrible. Uh, Matthew Boyd has been a bright spot in their rotation. Obviously, the win-loss isn't there just because the run support is not going to be there for him. But he's got a 227 ERA and six starts this uh, season. Uh, a little bit less than a strikeout an inning type pitcher. But he is holding opponents to a 203 average against, and he is keep, keeping the walks to a minimum as well. What what type of pitcher are we looking at here with Matthew Boyd? And is, is this a guy that uh, the Tigers are going to be able to build around as they go forward? No, I don't think they're going to build around him. I think they're going to trade him the the very second they get the opportunity. Matt Boyd was uh, he was a very trendy pick as a breakout guy last year, just due to the uh, just due to some of the peripheral numbers he has. You know, he was a he was a guy that uh, you know pitched up in the zone, big breaking ball. You know, he had a lot of the numbers that were were waiting to pop. And now this year is very interesting. Because it's the ex- the absolute opposite. Uh, his his results have been very very good, uh, but yet for some reason there's been a complete downturn in those indicator numbers. You know he's not thrown particularly hard. He's only at about a ninety one and a half mile an hour fastball. Uh, he's also made an odd choice of going from a, a breaking ball centric repertoire as far as the secondaries go to jumping the changeup. Uh, way up to his uh, his number two pitch. Meanwhile, the strikeouts it's it's not. He's usually above a K and inning guy, and it's really dropped. He's only striking out six point one per nine. There's a lot of things here that point to a guy that uh, not only should not be producing the results he is, 
but should really be facing the worst year of his career. <laughs> so I'm expecting him to start to get hit real hard real soon. Yeah, that would be a sell for me. And for the Tigers, I'm getting rid of him as soon as I can. All right. The last guy I'm going to bring up is Andrew Haney for the Angels. Uh, he had one bad start against Seattle where he gave up uh, four runs over three and a third, but his other two outings, you know, six and two third and zero earned runs and then six and a third and one earned run. Uh, one was against Houston. The other was against Tampa Bay. Those are two pretty good teams right there that he held uh, down. What do you look for from Andrew Haney? Is this uh, a guy that is looking for a possible breakout? Like is he a guy that's on the verge or is he a guy that you're going to, hold at this point or sell i'm thinking holding uh i've i've long been a little underwhelmed by haney you know the the 411 era that's right around what i would pretty much expect from him he'll have some lights out light out outings he'll have games where he gets uh hit hard but he's really up the strikeout numbers uh even more so than you know traditionally you know i should say across the board you're seeing the rise in but the guy's got 44 strikeouts and 30 and two thirds innings pitched. I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty massive number. He's, he's really upped the swing and miss. Uh, He could always, he could always strike guys out, but you know, he's got a a very modern, he's got, got a very modern repertoire. He, he goes with a fastball. It's a high spin fastball. So he keeps it high and uh, he's able to get a really high amount of swing and misses on it. And then he, he's able to take that and pair it very well with a curve. Uh, that also, uh, you're talking about a, a 40 plus uh, percent whiff rate, big curve, and the changeup's good too. So he's got three weapons. You know, it leads to to high fly ball numbers, and as long as he can keep those from being home runs, then you're looking at some pretty good outings. The thing that you got to watch out for is it's early in the season, so even with the dead ball, you got to start to worry about one does MLB decide that they're going to reduce that ball because they think they've gone too far with the lack of offense? And two, how is the warmer weather going to affect that ball? Is it going to play more like it has uh, the last couple of years once it starts to heat up? So that's one thing you got to watch out with those fly ball pitchers. It's just a lot more, there's a lot more uh, stadium, uh, weather, nighttime, daytime factors, uh, a little, a little harder to, uh, to really predicate what they're going to do. All right. Let's move on to our stock down guys. Let's start out with Tampa Bay. Ryan Yarbrough uh, has had a rough start to his season Four fifty-eight for the season. Um, he's had a couple of big outings. It looks, you know, he's, he's been up and down for the most part in the season. Is this a guy that's a buy low candidate or is this a guy that you're selling right now? Well, it just depends what you're looking for. Uh, Yarbrough's a guy that's great for Tampa Bay. I mean, he's he's the guy that helped them revolutionize the whole uh, bulk role guy at following a more swing and miss opener. Even this year, I think I got his uh, his ERA as a reliever is one point two three, as a starter it's six point seven five. He's a guy that uh, you know the analytics can really point to and say this is why you use an opener. You know, instead of instead of waiting to see what shape the game's in when you want to bring in your seventh or eighth inning flamethrower, you pop, you toss him out there in the first inning, let him get the the heart of the order out, then bring in this guy so he doesn't have to face that uh, those big bats. You know, uh, quite as many times. All of a sudden, you can get through four innings with only facing them once. You know that that's kind of what the whole mo is in Tampa Bay, and this guy can do that job. Uh, he's one of the softer throwing guys in all of baseball, uh, but yet he's able to keep guys off balance, even this year where the numbers aren't fantastic results wise. Whereas some of your best pitchers of baseball, uh, they'll give up 88, 89, 90 mile an hour uh, average exit velocities. Uh, this guy's got an 83 and a half. Uh, he's just very, he's just a, a pure cerebral pitcher. You know, he's the kind where he could be there in 15 years and you're talking Jamie Moyer type career just because he doesn't need to throw hard to keep people off balance. So, yeah. So, you know, he's not he's he's never going to be a star, but when he's used properly, he's still effective. And 
I wouldn't worry too much about uh, those overall numbers. I'd really look at what you're expecting him to do. And in this case, when he does the reliever role, it's a one, two, three ERA. That's as good as you're going to get from him. All right. Kicking, kicking over to the central. Uh, Mike Miner had a pretty rough week. Uh, part of that one and nine or of the last 10 that Kansas city has had on, uh, uh, you know, his ERA is obviously going to reflect that quite a bit. 575 ERA is whips 131. Uh, his opponent batting average is still only 234. So guys aren't really making a ton of good contact on him, or at least not consistently. Um, what, what do you see as uh, the issue here for Mike Miner? Well, I was taking a little dive into his numbers and Mike Miner's a guy that uh, he, he was a guy that always struggled with health. It, whenever you get a guy like that, um, it's always very difficult to get too in depth because you just flat out never know how good a guy is feeling and a guy like Mike Miner, you, you can, you can tear apart the numbers, but the fact of the matter is if he's having shoulder issues, if he's having elbow issues and he's so used to pitching through them that, you know, it's difficult to get a real consensus, but the one thing that I did that I did kind of find that was interesting is it seems like he's kind of changed up his own, uh, repertoire, uh, it looks like he's gone to a real breaking ball based uh, attack and the changeup, which has been uh, one of his big pitches. It, it, he slid that to the back of his, his choices really. And it hasn't had good results. And I don't know if that's a situation where he did that because for whatever reason, he hasn't had much feel for it this year. If they looked at the numbers and they're trying to get more swing and miss on the breaking balls, you know, I'm not sure so far the results haven't really panned out. So while I would like to say I'm selling Mike Miner all the way, cause I just don't trust him as far as his health goes, as far as the stuff goes, I'm a little curious to kind of just keep him on the back burner. Cause he always presents a few, a few nuggets that are interesting. Uh, he's got high spin rates. He's uh, a fly ball pitcher in a, big spacious park in Kansas city. And you never know if, if this is just having some trouble uh, getting comfortable with his new style of pitching, you know, one of, one of, you know, two things could happen. Uh, he could decide it's not working and go back to a, a change up heavy group of secondaries and see some of the more success come back out. Or he could start to make the progress with what he's doing and, and then we might see someone that, you know, all of a sudden something might really click. So I'm selling, but I'd keep them at arm's length, just, just in case. All right. And moving from a current Kansas City Royal to a former Kansas City Royal and Zach Granke, uh, you know, one of the most sought after pitchers a few years ago is uh, on the real struggle so far this season is 423 RA. He's only gotten uh, three decisions in his eight starts with a two on one record. Uh, and he's, his opponent batting average against is 276. So it looks like opponents are making good contact against him and they're doing it fairly consistently on the season. Is this a case of Grinky being on the decline or is there something else you see going on here? Uh, I, I do think that this has to do with age. The thing that when I, when I tear apart his numbers uh, on the surface, it looks, it looks pretty simple. Uh he, he just is not pitching well uh, in his home park right now. Uh, away, he's got a 1.8 ERA. At home, it's near mid-sevens. But that has to do some somewhat to do with sample size. I think it's only like uh, four starts at each. So, you know, it's still too early to really, really kind of focus in on splits. More so, what, I'm, what has me concerned is I'm seeing a little too much of what we saw with the quick decline of Felix Hernandez. Uh, his best pitch right now is, is the changeup. Uh, I really wish StatCast was around longer because I'd be very interested to see the changes he's made as he's kind of matured. He's, he's a very different player during this StatCast era, this like 2015 and beyond because he was still, you know, he, he was still like 31, 32 years old when uh, they really started to uh, publicly keep these numbers. So, you know, right now it's, it's much more of a, a finesse pitcher. Uh, he hasn't been throwing uh, hard, probably above average in years. 
But the thing that I really kind of noticed was the changeup has over the last maybe four or five years gone from a three and a half mile an hour differential from the fastball to then three, two and a half. And now we're to the point where his fastball is less than two miles an hour harder than the changeup. And that's a danger zone. You know, you can, you can throw a hard changeup. You can throw it three or four miles an hour like Felix did when he was younger and get kind of a split finger effect on it. So you don't have to have this 10 to 15 mile an hour difference to have an effective changeup as long as it dives and you throw hard enough. Well, now we're getting to the point where Grinky's not throwing hard enough and it's being exasperated by the fact that the changeup, there's just not enough difference to start fooling people. Uh, so his best pitch the last few years is now looking way too much like a fastball and hitters are just sitting on it. They're not, they're not afraid of a change of speed. Uh, it's not catching them off guard and it makes everything else play down. So I kind of hope that that's not the case, but you know, you mentioned contact. And so the average major league hitter, uh, you're looking for a number around, you know, around 81, as far as what percentile of the balls in the zone that they swing at, do they make contact with, you know, most hitters, it's around the average hitters around 81, 82%. Zach Grinke was, you know, around an 80 guy around average. And this year it shot up all the way to 88. So hitters are not being fooled by anything that's being thrown in the strike zone. uh, And it's showing in the stats. All right, let's move on to the national league. Uh, Let's talk about the Miami Marlins and Trevor Rogers. Uh, Rogers four and two on the season one eighty nine ERA. He's got 50 strikeouts in the season and 38 innings pitched. His home run numbers are down. His walk numbers are pretty good. And his uh, opponent batting average against is only 197. Is this, uh, at 23 years old, is this the next line of those Marlins pitchers that they keep uh, trying to find out there that turn into absolute studs? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I really like him. Uh, I wasn't super crazy about him coming out of the draft a few years back, but it was a it, it was a fastball changeup with a guy that you know when he he had he had tickled mid nineties but he wasn't a consistent mid ninety guy now he is he's he's really put on some bulk uh, it's kind of a crossfire jump on you delivery kind of like uh, you know kind of like Madison Bumgarner back uh, in his prime uh, except for Madison probably probably didn't throw as hard as this guy did you know, after the age of about 19 back before they really made the strides in continuing to improve velocity into your mid twenties. Yeah. This, this guy it's, he pitches up in the zone. It's, it jumps on you. It's uh, real tough to pick up. And then he pairs it up with uh, a plus change up from something that comes out lo- looking like it's coming out of his ear. So real tough you know, he's, I've watched, I've watched most of his games, uh, cause he's a, he's a heavy follow for me. You know, it's really the, the, the slider is kind of like the last piece. Uh, it, it has gotten hit this year. It's got a 375 batting average on it, but it's also got a 45% whiff. So it's one of those where when he sells it, he sells it. When he leaves it up, it gets hit. So he's got a little bit of work to do. If he can tighten up that slider, then you're looking at a guy that who could make the the big jump of say a Corbin Burns. You know, we saw we we talked about Corbin Burns. Uh, he could be one of those guys that really makes that leap into the the next echelon because the stuff is really really good, and he's he's actually improved and 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 grown in his command and control. You know, quite impressively in a, in a short amount of time, especially when you factor that. Uh, these are the guys that are usually, you know, right now look like they've been hurt by the missed year last year. These guys that are in that early 20 range and they were looking to be challenged on their way to the bigs. And then, you know, this guy comes up, not a real minor league season last year. And his ERA was in the, the mid to high sixes because he battled consistency, which you can understand with the amount of time he missed and then being thrown into the fire. So, uh, huge strides, really like him. Um, bye, bye, bye. 
All right. Uh, moving on to the Central, we got Wade Miley in Cincinnati. Four and two on the season. He's got an ERA right at two, exactly. Not a whole lot of strikeouts. He's not a big strikeout kind of guy. His whip's .75, and his opponent batting average against is only 147. Uh, what do you make of Wade Miley? Is this a guy that you're buying right now? Uh, I can't buy him for at the level that he, you know, coming off the no hitter to ERA. That that's not Wade Miley. Uh, too much contact. You know, he's gotten some some very luck. He, he's gotten some very luck driven batted ball data. You know, I'll give him credit. He he looks like he simplified things. Uh, he's gone to a pretty much three pitch repertoire. And he's cut his walk rate almost in half. I think it was something like career-wise, it was in the eights, and it's down to five. So credit to him on that. It, it definitely will help him remain a more consistent pitcher because he's a guy who's flirted with, you know, has flirted with that all-star level, but not really been there consistently. You know, that, that these are changes that could give him that kind of clout because you only have to do it for about half a season. So, yeah, if Wade Miley, you know, coming off a no-hitter, and uh, the ERA being in the twos, yeah, I could see him, uh, you know, making uh, an all-star game, especially with the, you know, the goofy rules about every team being represented and all that. Sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's getting real lucky. Uh, it's not going to last. You're looking at a, a guy that's going to return to being a, a real solid back-end innings eater type. All right. And let's round out our stock up guys with you, Darvis, out. In San Diego, three and one on the season, two twenty-seven ERA. He's got fifty-seven Ks already on the season. That's uh, good for a top five in the National League. <laughs> you Darvish, is this a guy you're buying right now? Yeah, uh, definitely. I I always buy you Darvish. This is a guy who he's really interesting because he came when he came over. Obviously, he was the predecessor to to Shu Otani. Um, when he came over he was throwing 96 miles an hour when that was still impressive. He didn't pitch like a Japanese pitcher. He had the, he had the six or seven pitches, but he threw, he, he was a power pitcher through and through and he came over and he was very good from the jump. And since he came back from Tommy John, you know, he's really taken it to the next step. And now he's pitching more like, more like a traditional Japanese pitcher but with the ability to still average 94 and a half miles an hour in a fastball. So I don't think this is going away anytime soon. I think even when he gets to the point where the velocity decreases, he's going to have the, the deep repertoire to keep it going. You know, everything he's doing right now is, you know, 33% K rate, 2.9% home run rate, 7% walk rate. Those are all slightly better than career norms. So, you know, nothing to say that he can't keep this going. Uh, the slider still an elite pitch. In fact, you might even be able to say that there's room for improvement because the slider's been keeping uh, averages down, but it hasn't really been missing bats the way it traditionally has. And yet we're talking about a guy with a 33% K rate. So if he was to sharpen up that slider, get it back to where his career norms have been, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's going to probably go back to the majority of last year's shortened season where he's just flat out untouchable and the Cy Young favorite for the majority of the 60 games. All right, let's move on to our stock down, guys. Let's talk a little bit about Aaron Nola. And it, it's tough to say a guy with a 3.59 ERA is a stock down kind of guy, especially with the strikeout rate that he has. You know, his 53, 53 strikeouts on the season, you know, only 47 and two-thirds innings pitched. But if you look at a guy that, you know, Philly – really wants to be their ace and the way that he has been up and down all season. Is this a buy low candidate for you? Or is this a guy that is going to continue to roller coaster on us and we should just kind of hold or hold on right now? Yeah, no, I, when I think of Aaron Nola, I don't think, I, I know that he's had, he's made a couple runs at Cy Young Awards, but I don't think about Cy Young Award pitcher uh, just this, this day and age. I mean, we're to the, we're to a level of pitching right now where it's much more like uh, you get, it, it's tougher for like a Kurt Schilling to beat out a Randy Johnson as uh, history proved to be the case or Pedro Martinez compared to Schilling. We're, we're at a day where you can't just be a strong innings eater with good stuff and good stats. Uh, it's just too hard to kind of beat out the guys with, 
electric stuff. You know, even last year when you look at uh, Trevor Bauer winning over the short season, uh, it, it's a guy with electric spin rates and, you know, breaking movement, just exploding movement, really. That's not Aaron Nola. He's got a good, strong curveball, which hasn't really been there this year. I think that that's kind of the reason that the numbers maybe quite aren't where we want them to be. But there's nothing bad about the season, really, I don't think. He's got the, kind of the reverse of Grinky. He's, he's pitching a 1-4 ERA at home, a 6-14 on the road. He's always favored pitching at home, which, you know what? Good for him. It's a it's a bandbox of a park. A lot of people don't like pitching there. So if you got, you know, if you got your de facto ace, you know, sitting at a 1.4, then you're doing pretty good there because that's a tough part. That's a tough park to pitch in. You know, I think if he tightens up the curve, he'll bounce back. Uh, the only thing that I'm a little concerned with is that his ground ball rate has plummeted. I don't know if that's because he's trying something different. Uh, it's always difficult to tell these days if uh, if a pitcher is trying to modernize or if it's a it, if it's a a mechanics issue. In this case, because we talked about the curveball, I'm going to say it has a little bit something to do with not being able to get the curve down the way he's used to. Uh, but I think he'll get it figured out. That's uh, that's his best pitch. Um, it's kind of what he's made his money with, uh, and I think he'll be all right. All right, let's move on over to the Central and talk about the Cubs and Kyle Hendricks, who leads the league in home runs given up at 11 on the season. He's averaging giving up one homer almost every three innings, <laughs> so not good for him. He's 2-4 and four on the season, a 623 ERA. And an opponent batting average against at 320, which is, uh, I mean, you know, if you're hitting 320 on the season, you're pretty much going to be Hall of Fame consideration, I believe. So uh, that's that's what he's given up every every week. Is Kyle Hendricks a sell guy for you right now? I mean, it's starting to look ugly, and it's he's such a different kind of pitcher. Uh, and the more modern we get, the more of a throwback he looks like. You know, there, there's a lot of stuff here that that really says that this this isn't very different of a guy than the one that's been, uh, you know, really the leader of the Cubs pitching staff for years, with the exception of the home runs. I mean, he's he it looks like he's going out there playing with the juiced ball that everyone else had taken away <laughs> because, uh, you know, the K rates, the walk rates, they're they're all close enough to career norms to where shouldn't be this big of a jump the the 86 mile an hour sinker that's sitting around a, a similar spot to where it's been he had he threw a little harder last year but that could just because how short the season was you know the 86 mile an hour sinker that's more in tune with what he's done the two or three previous years and the other weird thing about him is that he's so consistent in what he does is that the fielding independent numbers, the ones that basically track your strikeouts, your home runs, your walks, basically they try to assign an ERA to you that is completely the things that a, a pitcher can control. This year it's out of sight because of the amount of home runs he's given up. But up until this year, it's always been bes- bes- you know around the same three two to three six it's been very consistent no matter what his final numbers were uh even his lights out year when he had like the low two era for the full season it's a little bit of a mystery the the only thing that i can really think of uh is that looking back every year he's kind of flip-flopped where some years the curve is good some years the change-up's good and then every now and then he'll have a year where they're both good and this year, uh, let's see, the curve has a 765 slugging percentage attached to it. And the changeup has uh, a still not pretty 573. Uh, right now, there's not a whole lot of reason to respect any of the off-speed stuff. So it's basically just grip it and rip it, no matter what they're seeing. I don't know if that's something that he can get figured out you know, after getting shell shock like this, but that's where I would start. I think the fact that one of those, he's got to get one of those uh, historically strong secondaries going again, and then work his way, work his way from the inside out on that. Cause the fastball hasn't even been terrible. It's just, they're destroying all the secondary stuff. 
is Kyle Hendricks a guy that that you would buy low on in hopes that he would figure out one of those secondary pitches just based on his history? That's the I believe last week we talked about it, and that's that's where I was going with Dallas Keuchel, but just the the manner in which he's gotten tattooed. I, I think if you made me pick one or the other, I'm taking Keuchel over Hendricks uh, as far as uh, Chicago land goes. Um, so I will say sell on Hendricks. All right. Uh, let's finish up our stock down, guys. We talked about what could be the next Madison Bumgarner and Rodgers in Miami. Let's talk about the actual Madison Bumgarner in Arizona as a stock down guy. He does have a winning record at three and two, but his ERA is uh, just uh, under five at 491 on the season. His strikeouts are still up there. Uh, his whip is a little bit above one, and his opponent batting average is down. I mean, it's, it's only 221. Uh, is Bumgarner kind of – is this kind of what we expected out of him this season? Actually, I expected a lot worse. I expected that Bumgarner was on the the hard downward trajectory. The fact of the matter is that as, as enjoyable a pitcher as he's been to watch, Madison Bumgarner has been a much better postseason pitcher than regular season pitcher. He's not a guy that you walked into the season expecting to be – in the top three for Cy Young voting at the end of the year. He just, he, he just never really was that guy. So that, but that said, he's still someone who he gets high marks for going, doing his job day in and day out being just a, a complete absolute big game pitcher. One of the, the, the best in history and a team leader. So you like to see him have a, a, a good finish to the career. And I think he's got a chance to do that. Uh, the ERA is at a 491, but I've got him more projected about a 373 based on the hits, uh, the, the hits and the quality of hits he's given up. And baseball savant has his expected ERA to be about 394. So we're at about the same step as far as that goes. We we both think that he's uh, had a little bit of tough luck. He's in a tough park to pitch in. It's a middling team that may lack a little bit of direction on. Should they rebuild? Should they try to try to contend? It's a difficult spot for him, but the stuff is actually playing decent. You know, he's not a flamethrower. He hasn't been since, like I said, he's probably 19 years old. The, the velocity quickly went down throughout his career, uh, but he is throwing 90.6. That's a big spike after being down in 2020. It's a high spin fastball, which, you know, in some ways, uh, Madison Bumgarner is this old school guy who actually pitches like new school talent. Uh, he likes to throw up in the zone. He likes to collect uh, fly balls. And when it's on, he's got a curve that gives him the strikeouts. And so far, uh, it's been back. You know, it's a it's a pretty high spin curve. Right now, hitters are hitting 154 against it. And he's at nearly 40% whiff, which uh, I don't think he's uh, approached that number in four or five years. Um, so right now, he's really utilizing the high spin fastball up in the zone and matching it with a, a hard downer curveball. You know, I, I would, I, I don't know if I would buy it. I'll at least hold on him, but either way I would check out a few Arizona games because we might be getting our last glimpses of the true Madison Bumgarner. All right. Uh, that bring that finishes up our stock up and stock down. Let's uh, let's move on to our down on the farm. Talking about a guy that got called up a couple weeks ago, Daniel Lynch out in Kansas City. Uh, he has had a rough start to his major league career. He had a four and two thirds inning start against Cleveland, where he gave up three earned, had a couple of strikeouts in that one, and uh, four walks. Uh, so the control obviously wasn't quite there. And then, you know, fin- follows that up with only a two thirds innings outing against the White Sox, where he gave up eight earned, a walk, no strikeouts. And uh, there's now a reports coming out that he might have been tipping his pitches. Uh, what do you see going on with Daniel Lynch right now? So Daniel Lynch is an interesting guy. This this kind of is a good example, uh, and I'm sure there'll be more. This is a good example of a guy that got hurt by the shutdown last year. Daniel Lynch was a lefty pitcher, pitched for University of Virginia. They know a thing or two about producing pitching. He was a he was their team ace. 2018 draft real solid pitcher um i had him tagged as 
uh, maybe late second, early third rounder. But then throughout the season, the velocity ticked up. Uh, he was ended up, he ended up being, uh, you know, a 93, 94 mile an hour sinker ball pitcher. Uh, well, falls to Kansas City. They took a ton of collegiate talent that year. Um, he was one of them. And they immediately started to work on him. And he went to the Arizona Fall League and he was hitting 99 with the fastball, uh, showing the slider. Well, unfortunately, because of his injuries and the shutdown, the man has very little minor league experience. So I think they're rushing him. I, I think that they should send him back down because this, this is the difference between theory and practice. You know, they completely changed a guy uh, trying to take him from a, a sinker ball pitcher to now having him throw up in the zone. You know, these things, these are such great athletes that very often they're able to make these transitions where we don't see the work. We don't see the pen sessions. We just see how good they become and it just looks easy. And it most certainly is not. So here's this guy who he's six foot six, he's 200 pounds. He's been filling out. So you got uh, him gaining weight as well as changing his mechanics. This was all just a bundle of difficulties that he's now kind of seeing come to the surface at the highest level. He got ripped apart by the White Sox. That's nothing crazy. They're a great lineup and they kill left-handed pitching. So yeah, so real tough draw for him. Uh, I think he's going to be all right. He's going to be fine. He's going to end up, you know, once he gets it down, he's going to be throwing up in the zone from that same difficult arm slot and the same size that we talked about with Bumgarner and Rogers, he's going to be fine. He's going to be quite dynamic, but I don't think this is a transition you want to make at the major league level. Uh, the a guy that they drafted the same year, another one of the college arms, Chris Bubik, they had him up last year and he was okay. He, he outperformed some rather pedestrian peripheral numbers. He didn't look great in the beginning of the year. They sent him down. He's the one who actually they call back up to put him in the pen. He's actually the one who threw five plus innings of shutout baseball after Lynch got bombed <laughs> this last start out. I would, I would like to see them kill two birds with one stone. You drafted Bubich in, I believe it was the second round and you didn't, you know, you didn't really give him much time to develop, even though he may have been the most advanced of the four or five college arms you drafted in the first two or three rounds that year. I'd like to see them stick him back in the starting rotation, let him develop. He's very similar to Wade Miley, who we just talked about. It's a stout lefty, not going to lay up the radar guns, but he can throw a sinker ball. He can throw a curve. They've been working on him to shorten his stride, get on top of the pitches, be a little bit more dynamic, even if it comes at a, at a mile or two less an hour. I want to see how that transition kind of goes. And I think they'll be better for it because then Daniel Lynch will be able to work on his stuff without the bright lights. All right, let's move on to some bad news on the farm. Matt Allen for the Mets goes down with Tommy John surgery. Uh, I mean, really, at this point in his career, can you call this bad news? At, at some point, almost every pitcher is going to go out with Tommy John. Uh, would you rather it happen early in his career like this or uh, later on when uh, he's already starting to be established? I know that it's, it's, I don't know if, I don't know if it's sad or not that we think that way at this point. I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's great for the, uh, how far technology has come on this once devastating injury, you know, cause even when I heard the news and knowing that not everyone comes back, uh, it still was difficult for me to get upset about, you know, it's one of those where the Mets weren't going to pitch, you know, he wasn't going to pitch this year. It would have been nice to see him go and, uh, you know, go and perform like he was expected to. Uh, he, he's been really one of the high rising pitchers in the, in every team's farm system. Uh, I'd say probably top five, as far as guys who have really risen up the ladder, you know, my, my biggest concern, except for the fact that of course it's a disappointing, you know, bump in the road for a 20 year old kid. But aside from that, my biggest concern is that uh, there's been very, very different scouting reports on Matt Allen. If you go back and you look at everything from pre-draft to post-draft, you'll see a guy where it just depends on who you're reading. Some people are saying that it's a, 
you know, it's a lower 90s fastball that touches mid 90s. Other people are saying that it's a mid 90s fastball that he can run up into the high 90s. I mean, that's a big difference. Uh, Same thing with the secondary stuff. Some people were saying that he's got uh, just an absolute hammer curveball. Others are saying that uh, he lacks command. It's a a very wide range report. So I'm a little concerned because if those lower end reports are true, then coming back from this is going to be that much more difficult because command is usually the last thing to come back. The good news is that the consensus since the, uh, the alternate site last year, more people seem to be siding with the higher end projections for him, but that can be a lot of smoke and mirrors guys leaking things, trying to get, you know, their prospects uh, hyped up for trade purposes. Very difficult to, you know, really pinpoint who to listen to in these uh, cases, but it does stink for the Mets, you know, hopefully he'll be all right. There's, you know, tons, just tons of positive news regarding this surgery. But yeah, it's never something you want to see, especially the first week of the minor league season. Here, let's wrap up our Don on the Farm with more bad news for Mets fans, but great news for Seattle. Uh, Jared Klonick is getting <laughs> called up this week. He's a former. You had to do it. <laughs> I know. A former six overall pick from the Mets. That they basically traded away for a year of Robinson Cano being out on PED suspension and Einer Diaz. So uh, Kalonic's going to hit his major league debut. There's a lot of talk about you know how the uh, Mariners kind of manipulated his service time to keep him down on the farm. What are you expecting from Kalonic now that he's going to finally make it to the show? I I don't have any real concerns um, that he's going to have any. Uh any bumps in the road that are anything more than just, you know, typical baseball streakiness. Um, You know, when this was the kid that I wanted the Mets to grab when they did, uh, it was very painful to see them trade him because I was saying from, you know, basically from the moment we drafted him and a little bit before that, this is how, this is how, they look as far as, you know, when you look back and you wonder how a guy gave up, you know, how, how did no one jump on a Mike Trout? You know, how did no one jump on uh, an Albert Pujols, uh, you know, back when he was coming out of junior college, you kind of wonder how this happened. And this is, this is it. You just, you know, the draft is all about potential. It's all about tools. And you get these guys like uh, Kalanick who the tools are there. They're strong across the board. But it's really the attitude. I mean, this guy, this guy does not lack for confidence and he lives, he lives in the batting cages. He lives in the gym. This is the kind of guy that, uh, you know, is going to come out. If he needs to put on a weight, he's going to put on weight. If he needs to, you know, cut down the weight, he'll cut down the weight. I mean, he's going to, he's going to come into camp, you know, the, the most prepared player in his age group every single year. That's why it hurts so bad to, to let him go. Now, the speed has kind of fallen off a little bit as he's gotten bigger. So I'm thinking that this is a guy who, at the, the current modern time in baseball where steals are not very important, I'm thinking it's probably a 15 stolen base, 20 stolen base kind of guy. It's not, it's not the 30-30 kind of potential, but I think the hit tool and the power have really stepped forward. I mean, you know... It's it's not Acuna, it's not Trout, but it could be something very very impressive nonetheless. Uh, I think you're looking at very similar to a Juan Soto as far as the approach goes. He's gonna he's gonna know the strike zone. He's gonna take walks. He's gonna pound mistakes, and he'll probably lose some of that athleticism. But by that point, the bat will be doing the talking anyway. So this is the guy that's going to hit in the middle of the Seattle order for a long time. We'll see how quickly he adjusts, but he was tattooing AAA pitching. So I don't think it's going to take too long. All right. And you mentioned him as the guy that got passed over a little bit there when you're talking about Kalanick. Uh, But before we say goodbye here, we're going to bid a fond farewell to Albert Pujol's career. Uh, Guy that just got designated for assignment and is now free to sign with any team that he wants. Uh, but there are not a whole lot of takers right now. Albert Pujols' career, 667 homers, 99 and a half wins against replacement guy, three-time MVP, 
couple World Series rings. Uh, he's pretty much done it all and seen it all. What are your What are your uh, takeaways from Pujols' career? Um, it's it's hard to remember back when he was dominating in St. Louis. Um, it's been a long time. It's the unfortunate part of when a guy's legs just go and we don't really get, uh, as we discussed with Bumgarner, you know, you really want to have that swan song. And I, you know, it looks like we're gonna officially, it officially it looks like we're never going to get that from Albert. It's, it's a shame because of how amazing he was. And you like to say that there's nothing he could do to, to dampen how good he was. But after these years of him being, uh, you know, pretty much non-relevant, uh, you know, his biggest, his biggest uh, contribution the last half decade was probably being Mike Trout's personal tutor, <laughs> um, <laughs> which definitely has its value uh, as we're watching the, you know, as he's developed into the face of baseball. But, you know, the fact that Albert Pujols was that guy, I mean, even with uh, a third of his career being uh, basically non-existent um, and just draining down his career numbers, you're still talking about a guy that as far as first basemen go, there's only one guy with a higher war, and that's Lou Gehrig. There's only one guy with a higher war seven, which is when they take your, it's basically a dominance metric. It basically takes your seven highest years of war and puts them together. And guess what? Second to Lou Gehrig. You know, you look at all these metrics, it's almost across the board. It's second to Lou Gehrig. So that's how good he was. Um, I would, you know, obviously you hope for the, sign with St. Louis kind of go out as a Cardinal, but I don't think he wants to be a bench player. I think that's one reason why we haven't heard much about him going anywhere yet. So if that's out, my best idea is sign with Detroit. I think it'd be really cool for a team that is absolute trash right now and in complete rebuild mode. And the fact that uh, Spencer Torkelson had a terrible spring and is supposed to be the next coming uh, of your offensive saviors, you know, get Albert Pujols in that clubhouse, pair him up with Miggy. I think that'd be a really cool thing. Let one DH, let one play first, rotate them. I think that would draw some positive attention uh, to Detroit during a year where there's not much to be positive about uh, and give the young guys on that roster a real, a real chance at improving themselves uh, before the year is out in a lost season. But, you know, Miggy's, Miggy's very similar to Albert. Uh, he's not going to end up as high on the career ranks because, frankly, his injuries hit him harder than Albert's did. Uh, you know, at least Albert was able to go out there um, and really accumulate stats. That's kind of what's going to separate him from Miggy. They were step and step for a while. I, I could have sworn I thought Miggy was going to end up having the better career but Albert was able to kind of at least keep playing during those injuries. Whereas Miggy, it just seems like Miggy has been missing half a season after half a season after half a season. But yeah, I think that'd be kind of cool. Stick those two together, give people a reason to tune in uh, and kind of watch these uh, first ballot hall of famers uh, who are probably amongst the top 10 right-handed hitters of all time, maybe even closer to seven, six, might even might even have closed in on five if uh, Mike Trout hadn't booted him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that would be really cool if uh, Detroit did that. I mean, if nothing else, you could go to a game in Detroit and really watch Pujols chase 700. Uh, I mean, he's at this point in his career, he's probably this season plus another one away. I mean, he's 33 homers shy right now. Uh, you know, you're talking 15 or 16 this year, you know, the same thing next year. Which yeah. you know, for him is doable, but yeah, yeah. I mean, if look, you're not, you don't care about the results in Detroit. They're they're perfectly fine fighting for that number one pick. If they get it, I believe next year's draft class right now is supposed to be a very strong one, uh, and it's being led by a kid named Elijah Green, who is basically your next uh, 
you know, he's being touted as your next five tool, uh, Uber center field sensation. So, you know, they've got no problem chilling out and waiting for him to come. And meanwhile, in, you know, as that's happening, spend a year or two with Albert Pujols and Miggy on the bench. You're paying them anyway. Might as well uh, help help along the young kids because, you know, there's a good chance that uh, Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, if not September of this year for a cup of coffee, sometime around middle of the year next year, uh, you would really expect to see them make the big. So, um, yeah, I don't think they have anything to lose, only things to gain, and it would give us uh, – it would give us something to watch versus uh, Albert just slipping off into the sunset. Yeah, I 100% agree. And as you mentioned, you know, he's going to be a great clubhouse influence. I mean, the guy that basically tutored Mike Trout can uh, tutor in the next uh, generation of Tigers hitters as well in that clubhouse. So there's, there's a lot for Detroit to gain by bringing him in. Um, We'll see if it happens, but, and if it does, we'll, uh, we'll certainly talk about it. Um, but that's going to wrap us up for this week. We'll be back next week to talk a little bit more about the uh, standings. We'll talk about the big movers and shakers there. We'll talk about some guys that are down on the farm. And, of course, we'll have our stock up and stock down for next week as well. Uh, For Dennis, I'm Adam, and we will see you all next week. 